0: Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are going to stop in our uh, continual look back on the 2022 season because there was big news out of Winnipeg today. And uh, that brought up the attention to a a good friend of ours here on the show, Tom Bates, the manager of the Washington Wild. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for coming back to the show for us.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. I'm really happy you guys had me.
0: Well, Tom, you know, we know you're doing a great job out there in Washington. Trip to the championship series a couple years ago, won the division during the regular season, I believe this year. Uh, But yeah, I think there's a lot of fans out there going to want to know: Are you going to be the next Winnipeg Gold Ice manager after Rick Forney stepped down today?
1: Well, I would love to tell you yes, and and uh, you know to be reunited with where I kind of started and got my roots. And um, but I don't I don't know if I really see that happening. I I'm sure they're going to have more than enough candidates calling and. And inquiring about that job, and and I am happy here in Washington. They've been really good to me over the two years, and feel like I have a little bit of unsettled business here. And like you said, we did go to the finals the first year, and and this past year we did win our we did win the Western Division. We actually, had the best record overall in in the league, um, but we lost in the first round of playoffs, and and that stung. And so yeah, some unfinished business here, but uh, but yeah, I, I for sure would take the call from Winnipeg if they call if they did indeed call.
0: Well, you, you know, Tom, before we kind of dive into that job for a minute, uh, I, I did want to spend a little bit of time with you talking about the job that you've done there in Washington. Because I believe when you took over there, they had the worst record in the Frontier League the previous season when they played baseball. I mean, you turned that club around, you got to the championship series and, and got to game five, if I remember correctly. I mean, what what kind of helped you to be able to to get that kind of turnaround so quickly with the club?
2: Well...
1: There was a core of, of good players already in place. Um, now, we did have to tinker with it a bit as, as the season kind of got going. And, I mean, listen, it was it was a rough start for us. Uh, I think at one point we were 9-21, and 9-22, something like that. And I know for a fact after the 4th of July weekend, we were sitting nine and a half games out of first place and uh, sitting dead last. Um, but, you know, we made some moves and some key ones at that. We had a couple uh, – T additions coming in, I was able to pick up the start and second baseman off the Mississippi State National Championship Club that summer, and, and he was a big catalyst for us going down, going down the stretch. He um, was able to bring the, the the first ever ex-big league pitcher into pitch for the wild things, and, and he definitely was big for us down the stretch, um, and then allowed us, uh, was, played a big part in us overtaking Sussex in that last week to 10 days of the season for first place, and then... Uh, you know, going into the to the first uh, first playoff round against Quebec, um, Rob Whalen, who was that ex-big league pitcher, he pitched a gem in game five and 11 punches and threw a four-hit shutout. And so, um, yeah, it just, you know, some things kind of went right for us. We caught some breaks and, um, you know, but I think a lot of what helped me kind of get things turned around was relying on a lot of the experiences of, my time in the Northern League and the American Association and what, a, what I think is a, what a winning roster looks like and, and what we had success with all those years there in Winnipeg.
0: What I thought was most impressive about that, Thomas, and, and please don't take this in a, in a dis, disrespectful tone at all. But you, you're kind of an unproven commodity in a way. I mean, this is your first managerial job in independent baseball. But man, you got a lot of guys to buy into exactly what you were doing with that team. I thought that was a real credit to how you sold yourself and presented yourself to players to come and play for you.
1: Well, again, it, it, it certainly helps when, even though you're not the manager, you're coming from a winning program and, and a winning tradition, and. Um, so those guys knew where I was coming from and, and where I'd been. And, um, listen, I, please don't take anything away from, from my coaching staff as well. I mean, I only had the one guy in, in Alex Boshears the first year and this past year I was able to add Eric, Aaron Eggleston, another former American association player. And, um, but yeah, when you get good people surrounding you and helping you and, uh, you got players that, uh, are eager to learn and, and, and want to get better every day, then, at least you're putting yourself in a position to, to have some success. And really, that's all
2: we're trying to do here. For those that don't catch much uh, Frontier baseball, is there a, any sort of distinct difference between the philosophies and the style of play between the Frontier League and the American Association?
1: Uh, for sure there is. I mean, listen, there's, there's some clubs, there's some rosters that for sure could compete in the American Association on a nightly basis. And I know the American Association managers probably won't like to hear this and whatnot, but <laughs> listen, I, I think I'm a pretty good authority on that. I've been there long enough. And uh, listen, Pena Covilia in Tri City, he puts together a really good roster, and and they for sure could compete. And uh, Bobby Jones, when he was in Sussex, and you know, I think I like to think my club could compete. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the the experience level is isn't quite the same. Um, there's not the amount of Double AA, A, Triple A guys as as there is in the american association um so yeah the, the game is played a little different there's not so much sitting back and relying on on just things to happen i mean most of the clubs here play more small ball and they force the issue a little bit um
2: but yeah i, I would say that would be the biggest difference um, between the two leagues do you find as a manager is it more fun when you know that there's going to be more strategy involved in having to hit guys over and sacrifice bunt as opposed to just sitting back and waiting for someone to launch a three-run homer?
1: Uh, My personal style, no. I, I Listen, I'd much rather just write the lineup out, let these guys go play and kind of figure it out for the first seven innings. And then if I need to get involved in 8-9, eight, nine, eight, nine, then, then so be it. But, um, you know, I, I'm not a guy who wants to – move a guy over and give up the outs early in the game and, and kinda of force the hand a bit. I like to kind of see how the game's gonna flow and and what shape it's gonna take that night. And so um, but yeah, I mean there's a lot of managers here that do that do indeed like to do just that and push it and but no, I, I would much rather just let the kids play and, and kinda of showcase their abilities.
0: Well, speaking of that, Tom, I, I have to ask you about the the extra inning rule they implemented this year, um, which is, for fans out there who don't know. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but at the end, if I, at the end of nine, the home yep. manager would choose whether they wanted to hit or pitch, and if the the team scored a run, they won. If they got all three outs, the team that was pitching got all three outs, they won. How how did you like that rule?
1: Well, I'll. So you're almost correct. So we did play one okay. inning of the international tiebreaker. Uh, okay. So the 10th in, inning was start the runner at second base. Start the inning with the runner at second base. Um, if at the end of the 10th inning, though, we remain tied, then we went straight to what they called sudden death. Uh, and, and it is just as kind of as you have explained it. The home, the home team had the option of, of choosing offense or defense. Um, they, started with, uh, they started with a runner on first base. And no outs, and uh, yeah. If the team on offense, if they score before they got three outs, they're the they win. And uh, the defense, if they record the three outs without that run scoring, they're the winner. I loved it. I love it. And I and if they continue to, to remain intent on you know, limiting the, the game game times and and trying to shorten the game, then I don't see why um, that isn't something that's that's uh, independent wide in the next year or two.
2: But just to clarify, um, us being half correct about something—that that, thats a pretty good percentage. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, and listen, I'm going to tell you guys: if you if you were in the stands and you ever you you were able to watch that play out that scenario, you were going to absolutely love it. It brings an excitement to the game that you don't get in the international tiebreaker um, that you're obviously not getting if you're. Comp- continuing to play 13, 14, 15, 16 innings. That that half inning, and remember, you're only playing a half inning, but that half inning is playoff baseball no matter what time of the season it is. Um, we played a game in Schaumburg, uh, I believe it was the second week of June, second, third week of June, and we went into the tiebreaker, and for those three outs, the fans were on their feet, they were jumping, they were screaming. You would have thought it was eighth, ninth inning of a game five of the playoffs. And so uh, I'm telling you, you guys would absolutely love it if you, if you get a chance to be a part of that.
2: Now, I assume that the team that bats in that inning, that you just go where you left off in the batting order, correct? That's correct. That's correct. And, and that's
1: where the strategy comes in. So if you're the home club, um, you obviously you're going to look to see – not only where you're batting in the lineup, but where the visiting team, where they're coming up, um, what pitcher you have on the mound, what pitcher they have on the mound, and, and who they have left in the bullpen. Uh, you know, so that's why I loved it as a manager. It it brought back managers' decisions, more so than just the international tiebreaker where, I mean, let's let's face it, that's pretty much a bunk fest. Um, you know, there's not... Got it. That are, yeah, and, and to me, that's not fun baseball. Yeah. Um, if, if if you're going to make me have to end the game quickly, at least give me the chance to make a decision on how it and how that happens.
0: So so what do you have kind of like an idea of how many times you decided to like how many games did you play this season where you had that rule applied, and then how many times did you decide to go for pitching versus hitting? Do, do you know that offhand?
1: Yeah. So we played three. Um, Three sudden death games. Uh, the first game we did was against Pete and Covita's club. We did it at home, so I had the choice. I chose to play defense, um, depending on, you know, and, I, and I, based on who I had on the mound and where they were in their lineup. They hit a flare, broken bat flare that, chalk, that chalked the right field line. We lost the game. Didn't go our way. Um, the second game was that game I referred to in Schaumburg where, Jamie Bennett, who is the manager in Schaumburg, he chose to play defense as well. Uh, We ended up hitting a a two-out, kind of a flare into into left center. Uh, I don't know why, but the center fielder chose to try to dive and end the inning. He didn't get there. My guy scored from first base. We win the game. Um, And then the last time, again, I was at home, Uh, it was against Quebec, who ended up winning the championship. They came in. That decision was kind of made for me. My, my I had brought my closer in in the 10th. Uh, he got out of that. Uh, he came off the field in the 10th, looked me right in the face, pretty much screamed in my face and said, if we don't score here, I'm going back out. The decision's made for you. No problem. No problem. Uh, sent him back out there. He got the three outs, and we won the game.
0: Well, so one time of year three, the home team – came away with a victory i'm kind of surprised by that to be honest with you yeah. so and uh, we all
1: kind of went into this as managers we we're all thinking well it's that's a piece of cake we're all going to choose to play defense and uh you know like i said for me i chose to play defense i lost the first game jamie played chose to play defense he lost the first so it wasn't it wasn't just as simple and, and clear-cut as we're going to play defense and we're going to get three out to win the game um uh, like i said I don't know if I necessarily would have made that choice again in the third game, but when your closure comes out and tells you, don't worry about it, I'm taking the ball back and I'm going to get you three outs, um, gets me off the hook, so
0: to speak. (laughs) I want to see a batter do that. All right, I got this home run for me. Just go on offense, for God's sake.
1: (laughs) I would like to see that too. It would make my job a whole lot easier on the (laughs)
0: That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad you know. I'm glad that you were enjoying that because I'm going to be honest with you, Tom. When I when I saw that rule, I thought that's just absolutely silly. Yeah, I mean, it's, this sounds like a silly rule. I'm, I'm glad it turned out to be better than I imagined. Way better than I imagined.
1: Yeah, and I, honestly, boys, I'm telling you, if you get a chance to ever see that, be in the crowd. You're what it like I said? Every pitch matters in that inning, right? And so everyone's on the edge of your seat. You're just hanging on it, just like you would in any game five playoffs that you watch for many years. With I know. I know we uh, we in Winnipeg had plenty of those Game 5 battles with, with George and in, in, in St. Paul, and, you know, I remember the thrill of that going pitch by pitch by pitch, and, and that's what it feels like, and it's it just brings so much more excitement to a regular
2: mundane game in the middle of the season. And it also brings up the inter- interesting scenario that you could see your team get walked off in your own home ballpark. Absolutely. Absolutely,
1: it's definitely happened to me. Uh, that and that's a weird feeling. For sure, it was a weird, weird feeling. But uh, but again, I think that adds to the excitement. And and listen, I'll be real honest with you. I would much rather just go right to that instead of doing the one inning of the international tiebreaker. Um, let's just go and get a winner and 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 be done with it. So um, again, if you're going to make us play that way, let's just go right at it and have some fun with it.
0: Now, one thing i got to ask you about, Tom, is because a good friend of mine, Alex Brochiers, has been a guy who just loved Alex for the longest time. Um, yep. How do you talk him into getting back in that rotation last year?
1: <laughs> Believe me, I didn't have to, it wasn't much persuading. I mean, he was on, he was in my ear about every other day when we, we ran into a couple injuries and he just said, I, you know, I can, I can do it. I can be ready. I can be ready. And uh, it didn't start out back in rotation. We started him in the bullpen and, and as I, was getting, was, we were getting further, further into August and kind of could see how this was going to go down the road, and, uh, you know, we started talking, him and I, about maybe stretching him out here and there, and he had one outing in relief that he ended up going three in a third, and asked him the next day, he said, you know, I felt way better than I thought, and I said, okay, so let's just plan on maybe giving you a, a spot start and see how that goes, And and his experience, especially in those big games with Sussex down the stretch, and going into the playoffs because he started game four for us on the road in the playoffs, uh, uh, first round, and his experience was invaluable. And And uh, he did a really great job for us. And, you know, he, he definitely came back this year and, and you know, hey, if you need me again, and I said, absolutely not, you're done. Uh, I am not using you that way. I just need you to coach. But uh, but he's always he's, – he's a gamer. You know that. He was always up yeah. for the challenge.
0: You know, what's so awesome about him, too, is just the nicest, most the, – the guy you could never irritate kind of person. But, boy, on that mound, even though, that you know, kind of that cordial-looking face, boy, he, he's a real bulldog out there.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. Super nice guy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Just happy-go-lucky. And uh, But, yeah, his demeanor changes when he puts those glasses on and goes out on the mound and pitches. and um. He just, uh, like I said, he was a real, he was very valuable to us, and just, just a joy to be around when when he was able to step back into that role. And it, I tell you what, it was good, it was really great for the young pitchers to see Alex in that in that light, and and when the spotlight's on him, and um, not too much so much as a pitching coach, but as that guy who, yeah, everything he said, he just went out and did, and uh, that that really really was a, a big benefit to our young guys
0: let's well let's talk about the news today here Tom uh, surprised at all that Rick forney stepping down y- your kind of thoughts on this
1: not surprised uh, listen Rick had been talking about that for years you know when him and I was up there and together and we sat and talked and obviously I know his family really well we pretty close all those years and watched his kids grow up and um, you know, I, I knew it was getting tougher and tougher, you know, over the last five, six, ten years even. It was getting tougher and tougher for him to leave home. And I knew at some point with, especially after the passing of his oldest son and, and the, the middle son, Christopher, once he, once he went to college and now his daughter, Rebecca, is getting ready to graduate from high school and go to college. Um, there's just not a whole lot left to help Erica, his wife, help, help her out with, with their youngest son Eric, and uh, so I knew I knew Rick needed to get closer to home. And now, was it a surprise that it's York? Uh, yeah i i had no I had no uh, inkling that that was going to happen um, up until last week when I was talking with Rick, and he dropped the news on me. I think it was Thursday, and asked me just to keep it tight lipped and not say anything. But uh, you know, it's close enough for home. And uh, I think it's just something that I know Eric has got to be really pleased with the, with this development and and uh i'm sure I'm sure he'll happy he'll be happy and do a great job there in New York.
0: as you look at you're a guy who' moved from American Association and the frontier league we we've seen a lot of managers come from the Atlantic League into the American Association, butch Hobson and brett jody as as examples. How do you feel like going the other direction? How do you think a manager heading from the American Association would do in the Atlantic League?
1: Well, I think, listen, there's a lot of guys with experience and a lot of experience in the American Association. You know, a manager's been around a long time, and uh, I, think, I think it'll be a much easier adjustment going from that league to the Atlantic League than probably Butch had coming over. Um, and, and just from what I've seen, uh, I don't talk with Brett Jody a lot, but I know he struggled last year and, and this year. I know they had their ups and downs. And um, but as far as it going the back the other way, I I don't think there'll be much adjustment uh, for, for Rick's side at all. Uh, I expect him to probably go about and build the same roster, or sort of that he did all those years in Winnipeg. And I'm sure he'll be a little bit younger than some of the other ones, but. Listen, I don't know how long, how much you followed the Atlantic League over the last couple of years, but they've gotten younger. A hundred percent, that league's gotten younger, and um, I think Rick will just go in and, and do what he does best and stick with the formula that he's used all these years.
0: When you look at Winnipeg, unfortunately, had a couple of tough years. The last few years have not come up with great records. Missed the playoffs in each of those seasons. What kind of direction do you believe that Winnipeg goes in looking at a manager? Like you said, a lot of guys are going to want that job. What would be the right kind of fit in terms of style for that new manager? Do you think? Uh,
1: I, you know, that's a good question, and you know, I don't, I don't want to talk too much out of turn, and, and I haven't. Listen, I haven't been there in three or four years, so I don't know exactly, you know, if the dynamics have changed much and what Sam would look for, and I do know Sam likes big names. Um, and, and so I'm sure that, you know, he'll, he'll exhaust every opportunity and, and explore every option into, into finding a big name to kind of fill those shoes. And, um, but yeah, I I do think it's gotta, I think it's gotta be a name that makes a splash. Um, and I don't know if there'll be managers that are currently employed, that'll be looking to make that move. And, um, it's, there's some tough travel there, man. It, is and when I know you and I, we all talked about that, the three of us the last time I was on and those those bus rides are not fun. They are not fun, and you know, and that uh, but knowing Sam the way he does, way he does his job and how he goes about his work, I'm sure, uh, like I said, he'll turn every stone over to make sure he finds the guy that that he feels is best to, to lead his organization going forward.
2: You, you talk about the bus rides, and when I was in Fargo for the Miracle. I'm sorry, for the Miles Wolf Cup, uh-huh. uh, I, did, I, I did a quick road trip up to Grand Forks. And, boy, traveling on I-29, uh, I had heard the stories. But, boy, there's, in, in a, as you might hear a quote, there's not a lot of there there. <laughs> and I can just <laughs> imagine traveling up and down that all summer. It can't be the most um, fun ride to take. A
1: lot of cornfields. It's a lot of cornfields um you know and you and and I, I know we were joking last time about me writing a book of all the experiences and you know i've been on that bus at three thirty four in the morning when it's you're riding through thunderstorms that you think you got no chance you're going to see the uh the sunrise again um you know i've seen back I've, I've felt that bus sway back and forth felt like it got up on two wheel or, you know on side wheels the time um yeah that's that highway can be dangerous for sure and um, it's it's long it's grueling and you know so all that comes into consideration when you're looking for your next manager and and what guy wants to get on those 12 14 16 hour bus rides and um but yeah i mean i don't, I don't know i i'll tell you this i'm sure sam isn't going to have to call many people i'm sure his phone's blowing up if it hasn't already and andrew the gm i'm sure he's going to start feeling a lot of calls and um, as I was joking with you guys before we went on, I mean, even my phone's been blowing up today with people wanting to talk about it and what the what you know, what what I think they're going to do, and you know, there's been a lot of. I've had about seven calls already. Are you going to fly? Are you going to fly? And
0: um, you
2: know, we'll just kind of <laughs> wait and see how it goes. I wonder with all the mishaps the Gold Eyes seem to have been, been having with buses the last two three years. I wonder if in this interview with York did uh, Rick possibly ask um so could you tell me what year and what model the team buses <laughs> I'm sure he's probably thought, had enough of those
1: <laughs> I could tell you this right Rick in York he's, his longest bus ride is going to be down to Gastonia in, in high Point and so you're only looking you're only looking at about six seven hours so I'm sure for Rick that's going to be it's going to be like a 20-minute cat nap for him on that bus. So I, I'm sure that's the, that's the least of his concerns right now.
0: You know, all I'm thinking, though, Tom, although it's only eight letters, I'm thinking there's no bigger name right now than Tom Bates. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> so, uh, uh,
1: like, Listen, I again, <laughs> would it be nice to go home and, and kind of – uh, you know, revisit where you started and get your roots again and see a lot of the same familiar faces in the stands and whatnot and, um, for, for sure, um, uh, but I, I don't want i don't want anybody to think that I'm not grateful and I'm not happy here in Washington because uh, for sure I am, the, the ownership, the, from top down in this organization has been nothing but good to me and, um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I will, say, again, I'll tell you this, you're not the only one that said that to me today. Um, uh, <laughs> Oh, no, but i don't know uh i'll ask you guys who do you who do you think i mean what 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 names do you think stand out for you other than obviously mine right now
2: i i got a dark horse here and you know you you alluded it alluded to it a little bit earlier that sam's going to want a name mm-hmm. well what name is more synonymous with winnipeg gold eyes baseball than reggie abercrombie
1: <laughs> reggie's one
2: of the ones i talked to today about that um I, I, I
1: will tell you this. You know, I think that'd be a good fit, and I know Sam loves Reggie. Um, I, told I don't Reggie know that's today, what you want to do, but right, I told Reggie today he should get the job. But I, I know Reggie has a really good job um, that he's been he's had a lot of success in and has enjoyed the last couple of years. And um, more importantly, I don't know if, if uh, uh, I don't know if if Mama would let him leave right now. Uh, she enjoys having Reggie around and. Um, I know they've got a really good thing going. They've got kids at home, and so, um, yeah, I don't know if that's the right move for Reggie uh, at this point in his life, uh, in this stage of his work career. But uh, yeah, that's that's not. I wouldn't say that's a dark horse by any
0: means. I think the interesting scenario to this Tom would be if any current manager in the American Association would see this as kind of a step up for them, and so like a, a Steve Montgomery or a Mike Meyer maybe that would look at, well, you know, Sioux Falls and Sioux City may not be the best place to manage, and maybe I'd kind of throw my hat in the ring over here hoping that Winnipeg would be a, a big a big upgrade. And I don't mean that in any kind of insult to Sioux Falls or Sioux City, but, you know, it's Winnipeg. I mean, that's, you know, one of the premier franchises in independent baseball. And um, so I, I would be interested to see if guys like that um, – I wouldn't be even surprised if a person like Brett Jody might have even thrown his name into to that as well. So um, I think an experienced manager who, who may see their current situation as not as good as Winnipeg might want to go for that job. And, you know, Sam would be silly not to listen to him, I would think.
1: Oh, 100%. Um, and, and listen, let's, let's not uh, – I'll even throw a name out from the past that uh, – Maybe you haven't thought of yet, but once I do, you'll probably like. Oh yeah, yeah. Listen, don't forget Pete Rose Junior. has has ties to yeah. Winnipeg and um, has a really good relationship with Sam. And uh, I know Pete's still been looking to get get back into it, and he just hasn't found the right situation the last couple of years. And um, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's a name. Uh, you mentioned Steve Montgomery. I'm sure. I'm sure Steve would be definitely interested in in talking with about this job and uh, again as you said who wouldn't um been a premier destination for a long long time and um as long as sam's there i know sam will always spend the money to to have a contender he wants to win and um uh, you know, that's all you can ask for as a manager is work for an owner that's going to give you the resources to be successful
2: you know i was uh chatting with my good friend craig coolman up in winnipeg today too and he is you threw out that Amos Ramon could be a possibility as just someone to hire that is already on the staff and there wouldn't be as much of a turnover as there'd be bringing in someone completely new.
1: Yeah, I again, anything's possible, I suppose. Um, I don't see Sam going in that direction because, uh, again, just I know Sam's not going to hire a first-time manager. That I could probably, I would put my... I'd stake everything I have on that, um, and uh, I, I just and I and listen. Whoever comes who gets that job, the first requirement is he's going to have to have a strong background in procurement because um, you're pretty much on an island up there. You you've got to be able to get guys who who want to come there because most of these guys they have no clue where Winnipeg is. Most of them have never heard of Winnipeg, um, you know, and and uh, they just. You know, it, that's a tough sell sometimes. You know, we, we all think that, that are familiar with it, that, oh, who wouldn't want to play there, and, and uh, you know, the stadium is what it is, and the city, and these kids that are just getting released, and somebody from Jackson, Mississippi, they don't, they don't know what Miss, what Winnipeg is and what it's about, and um, so it, it's, it's not an easy, it's not an easy job sometimes to get guys to commit to coming to Winnipeg, and, um, you know, the border issues, and, getting phones transferred over, and, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into that. So I think whoever gets that job and gets
2: tapped on the shoulder for that is going to have to have a very strong background in player procurement. I was uh, also messaging with Sean Aronson today when the news broke, and although I didn't ask him myself, I already knew the answer, but Sean said that uh, George Samus is not interested in the job. And when you said that, I'm just trying to envision George in a Winnipeg jersey. And I just said, you know, that would be the equivalent of if the Saints would have ever hired Doug Semenick. It just doesn't fit. Right,
1: right. And and I would say that's another name you don't have to worry about. I don't see Doug ever working with Sam again. Um, Again, anything's possible, I suppose, but uh, I don't think we have to discuss that name uh, going there either.
0: You know, Tom, I'm wondering, because a lot of times, one one thing Mike Meyer told me one time, he said, you know, you get hired into this job understanding you're going to get fired. You know, the the only job where you know the ending is you're out the door. And and I'm wondering is, you got a great job there in Washington. You know, be honest, they went out on a a limb, so to speak, chose you as a first-time manager here, and you've done a great job for them. As you're looking at opportunities, do you say, hey, these guys really gave me an opportunity and I want to be loyal to them? Or, or if a great opportunity comes up, do you say, well, i got to look out for my career? I, they would get rid of you, I guess, if they didn't think you were doing a great job. Can you have that same kind of attitude as the manager of the club?
1: You know, that's a good question. Because um, I like to think of myself as a loyal guy. Again, I'll go back to our first, first time we did the show, and we talked about this. Um, if you remember that, you know, and that's kind of what my resume was. And that's what everybody associated me with, was, there's a guy who, who stuck for 17 years. He stuck with Winnipeg and, and stayed right there. And, um, you know, I, so I like to think to myself that I'm not a fence jumper. You know, there's a lot of guys are, they're always looking for that next best opportunity. And, um, so no, I, I don't think I'd actively go out and pursue other options. Um, just to say I can, um, but I think you're doing yourself a disservice when you're talking about your career if you're not willing to listen and then explore all the options that may come your way. Um, but, no, I, again, I'm not uh, – listen, I don't know if you know this or if you read it last year or whatever, but after after the season last year, I mean, they, get, they, they renegotiated my contract and they gave me a, a four-year contract um you know and I felt they went above and beyond to do that for me and you know like you said they gave me a choice or or an opportunity and a chance when no one else was doing it you know when all I was hearing was well you've never managed before you don't have the experience you don't have the experience we don't know what you'll be we don't know what you'll be and they gave me that opportunity to prove myself and here we are 120, 120 wins later and a manager of the year under my belt and um you know so yeah it's I don't know, man. It would be hard to kind of walk away. It would have to be a really good offer and a really just a really good situation, not only for my career but for my, you know, all all things life considered. Um, it'd have to be the right time and the right fit in my life for that. And um, but, like I said, I you make a good point. I mean, it, they always have the option to walk away from you as well. So you you always have to look out for number one and take care of yourself the best you can.
0: And I don't mean that in a way to like, well, Tom's out looking for another job. But I I mean, I guess looking at this, I would think to myself, well, Washington's been great to you, you know, and and you could probably stay there for twenty years, and they would love having you around every year for that because you do a great job there. I just kind of would look at that and think, well, Winnipeg is again a premium job, and you have a, 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 you know, that's been your home for a while. You you have a. A uh, history and a, a lot of people that you know in that area, and I don't think anybody would fault you if you said, "When a, or actually any place in the American Association, you know, lots of those teams and owners and general managers as well. I, you know, that might be looked at as a well, that's just a natural fit for Tom Bates you know, kind of idea,
1: right? And and you know, I listen. It's you're not the only one that's going to to say that or have this conversation with me the next couple of days. I know that I'm aware of that. Um. yeah it, it's it's just a it's a funny situation right now but again I, I just think I don't I don't know if I'm what Sam's looking for right now if you get if I had to put my finger on it and you were pressing me for an answer one way or the other I I don't really think I'm that guy I, um, you know we had a, we had an opportunity before I took the job in in Washington when I was living in Ottawa and and Sam took over that Ottawa organization and um, you know, he didn't feel I was right for that at the time. And so I, you know, I don't know if, if, uh, you know, if I, if that's even some, my name, somebody's even given thought to right now, but, um, I will say this since you mentioned, you know, or anywhere in the American association, I don't mind going on record and saying, I know two clubs in the American association that that made a mistake, not hiring me. I will, I will say that without feeling like I'm being too braggadocious.
0: We agree. Just sort going of to throw that out too, you know. And I think from the other side too, I want to say, Tom, is that I think the level of managers, and I don't mean to make it sound like there weren't great managers in the Frontier League before, but you know, Pete and Cavill, you said came there, obviously a well-established guy who's proven himself over and over again. I look around at that list of managers in the Frontier League, and I go, wow, that's a pretty impressive group there.
1: It is, and I, and I think it's going to continue to get better. I mean, listen, there's they've made some changes to this league. And as far as the, the roster, the roster rules and and, and what constitutes for the roster makeup, um, obviously it's going under the banner of a major uh, MLB partner league. Um, so I, I do think there's going to be, there will be more manager turnover, uh, and more names coming. I know Jamie Bennett loves it in Schaumburg. I know he has no interest in leaving. I know Pete's very happy in, in Tri-City. In fact, he just re-upped again. Um, Pat Scalabrini is Mr. Everything in Quebec and rightly so and he just won another championship there um, does a great job. Bobby Brown ex manager in, in Amarillo and in Lincoln is now in Ottawa. Uh, he did a really good job got him into the playoffs in their first year. Um, there's there's a lot of good managers um, you know and, and again I, I just I think there's going to continue there'll be more and more coming into the league because the league is is getting stronger.
2: And don't forget a guy like Andy McCauley too, who I, you know, those that follow the the Northern League and, and Fargo know very well.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. And thank you for reminding me. And obviously that's not a slight on Andy at all. I mean, Andy does a great job there and uh, has a thousand wins under his belt and, you know, won the championship there a couple times. And I know he's very happy in Evansville. The Evansville uh, ownership love Andy there, and, and rightly so. And so yeah, it's this is definitely not a league where you're you know you're going go to go onto a go into a game where the other guy in the other dugout doesn't really know what he's doing or is overmatched and um, you know Florence in our league just hired Chad Rhodes as a manager and Chad pitched in the American Association uh, with Fargo and Gary and um, so so yeah I mean there's familiar names
2: around and and uh, like I said I think it's just going to continue to get better. You mentioned the 1,000 win mark and getting back to Rick Forney. I know he's on the cusp of that uh, probably uh, two or three seasons away. And I guess it will be disappointing for us that follow the league that we won't be able to watch when when that happens. And maybe with them being a relatively new manager out east, it might not get get the press that it deserves. But, you know, such is life, I guess.
1: Well, yeah. Listen,
2: it's it's kind of
1: sad, and I don't. I'd like to get your take on it and how you guys feel about it. You know, but you think of what's transpired over the last couple of years. Obviously, near and dear to your hearts, the St. Saint Paul Saints have left. Uh, at least the indie version of it in the American Association, they've they're gone. Um, you know, Doug Seminik is is not a part of it anymore. Um, you know, there's turnover in Lincoln, and and. Um, you know, Cleburne seems so far away and, and there's new faces running it down there as well. You know, the the Robertson boys are out of it the, that ran Wichita and Cleburne for a while. And it's just, um, you know, to me, it's kind of sad. Now Rick Forney's not a part of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes anymore. And it's just, you know, the heydays of, of what it was and those rivalries, not only on the field, but also in the manager's parts. And it's just, you know. Those were those were great times and it was a lot of fun I know you gentlemen had a lot of fun covering it and being involved in the rivalries and then the road trips and stuff and like I said i I'd just be I'd just be I'd be anxious to hear your thoughts on that on on all the turnover of the last few years
2: it does seem like a different league and I guess where I'm at in Minnesota right now I feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere and if it wasn't for all the ways to watch now between association TV and social media, and that I would feel really disconnected from everything. But I feel like um, you know all those guys and teams have moved on, but they haven't found a way to get rid of Rob and I yet. And until that happens, there always there will always be a connection from the old guard to the new guard. Well, you know, but that's important, right?
1: To, to kind of glo- close that gap and keep the history alive and. And tell the new generation of fans that you know what it was like back in the heyday, and um, you know how some of these rivalries came to be, and some of the great managers that were there and are gone now. I mean, you know, one we didn't mention, Greg Taggart, right? I mean, it his first year without yeah. Greg there, Gary, and um, again, I don't, I don't mean to put myself in that same vein as the Samuses and Simonics and Forneys and Taggarts and stuff, but you know, being there 17, 18 years with a lot of those guys, watching them. You know, come aboard like Taggart, and and watching. You know, when Rick Forey was just a pitching coach, and I was there for win number one and championship number one, and all. You know, and it's just it, to me, it's a little sad to look back and think of all those guys, and now they're all pretty much gone.
2: And uh, y- I think- you were around. You were around when there. The, I know the American Association just came out with a social media poll today on what what's the what's the biggest rivalry in the league. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that St. Paul-Winnipeg-Fargo triangle, you put any two of those threes together, they were the rival, the big rivalries. And, but Fargo-Winnipeg, I mean, they've been interlocked since day one of, of 1996 when Fargo joined the league. And I know you have a greater appreciation than just about anybody for the war's on the field between the red Hawks and the gold eyes. And I just hope that doesn't get lost on the fans of today that don't really have a, that grasp of history between the two clubs.
1: Well, yeah, you know, and it, again, it's, it's, it's a different age. And listen, change is, is necessary, right? And every, there will always be change and things have to continue to evolve. And, you know, but you look, you look around the league now and, and, Obviously Milwaukee has success, they've won a championship, but it's you know, it's they're kind of the new kids in still and and, and they have late country and, and it's just all just kind of seems to blend together where as you said you had the big triangle there for many years with St. Paul, Fargo and Winnipeg. Um, you know, obviously even going back all again all the way to the Northern League where you had the Sioux going at battle all the time 9, 12, 15 times a year against each other and just those wars up and down the highway of Sioux Falls and Sioux City, and um, you know, and even and when Wichita was kicking everybody's rear end, right? And and you know, some of the battles they had with with the better clubs in the league, and they had some epic battles in the playoffs that I think get overlooked with Gary uh, over the years. And um, it was just it was just really good because they've always had good people in charge of those clubs. And um, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, it is kind of really. It's nice to look back in nostalgia at that stuff, and um, you know. But like we said, change is necessary, and, and you know, you always have to move on to the next chapter. But I do think it's it's very important for guys like yourselves to to continue that tradition and keep talking about how it was, and, and to usher in the the new era of the rivalries, whether it's Milwaukee and Lake County or Chicago and Milwaukee, or you know, you never know what can what can be
0: down the road. Well I know for me personally, Tom, that I think the things that i re- I keep in mind the most or or focus on the most, I guess when I'm looking around the league are what happened to somebody okay and I'm please excuse me for using you as an example here but but you know, I, I relish in a story about a guy who spent nearly two decades working as a as a in coaching for a team, then got his opportunity, and went out and thrived. You know, to, to prove that he had, he, like you said, you should have been hired by two other clubs, you know. And, and I look at that and I think, man, what a great story that is. I, I look at an Alex years who, uh, you know, learned from, I remember when he first came in the league and, and he would sit with guys on that Wichita Wingnuts team and, and learn that he was a rookie guy, you know, who had battled arm troubles in, in college and really didn't get to pitch very much, had terrible numbers in college. Want becoming a star in the American Association? You know those stories really kind of appealing. Reggie Abercrombie, I think, is one of the greatest stories I've ever watched. A guy who probably could have easily got back into affiliate baseball, but was loving playing in Winnipeg. You know who does that? You know I mean, everybody go, "That guy's crazy." Well, no, he's not. He's having a good time. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'll take it
1: a step further. And you think about all the of the great guys that came that came through St. Paul, uh, whether it was yeah. in the old state or the new one there for. the, for a couple of years and uh just the amount of of talent that you know going way back to when marty scott was running things and and uh you know just the amount of talent that came through a small town uh, and not to say anything about st paul but just the you know small out of the way town when you're talking about guys that were big stars on the big stage uh and now they're playing at midway stadium right and um you know it's just for what that was and that in that era of time it's just uh I mean nothing can take away what that league stood for then what it stands for now and um you know it is hard I'll admit it's hard being on the outside of it I mean I still watch the box scores I still make sure I pull up the app every day and check the scores on what's going around in the league and um you know I like to know what George is doing in Kane County and we still text and talk and uh, you know, I try to stay in touch with a lot of those guys over there, not just from the business side, but from the personal side. And, you know, they're, whether you want to call them friendships or, um, acquaintances or just rivals on the, you know, in the other dugouts and stuff, but there's still a history with those gentlemen. And, and, uh, like I've said plenty of times before, I like to think I learned from all of them, whether they liked me or I didn't like me or I didn't like them and, uh, you know, Jason point, Doug Simnick, and again, I I know we talked about this before, but you couldn't help but respect what he did on the field. Uh, you can't take that away from him, what, whatever you felt from him personally, but, you know, that there's a lot to learn from watching him go about his job, and same way with George Samus and Greg Taggart, and George Rick Forney, and, and uh, you know, Hal Lanier back in the day, and, like I said, Marty Scott, and, you know, we can go on and on, and it's just, uh, you know, it was it's it's a really good league, and it. And I think it's something that we all, whether whatever part we played in it, big or small, we should all
2: be proud of it. In mentioning wow. Doug Simvick, there was talk in Fargo after the Red Hawks won the championship I went upstairs afterwards. And, you know, there was a um, few people saying, you know, it would have been nice to bring Doug back for this so, just so he could have been there to see the Hawks finally win another championship again. What's your take on that? Let's just get your thoughts. You you've been
1: in this longer as long as I have. What's what's your thoughts on that?
2: I it would be nice I, for what that say what you want about his style. And I know, like it's 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 common knowledge amongst us in the business. He tend to rub some people the wrong way, but like you said, you can't you can't disparage what he did on the field and and what. Whatever caused the breakup up there, you know it's been a lot of years now, and I just wish that they could have patched it up by now, and that um Doug could have been there you know just as a just as a, a fan or you know someone go, going on the radio for a few innings and talking talking um Redhawks baseball and it would have been would have been nice to have him part of things up there, but maybe somewhere down the line um you know. As the years go by, uh, start forgetting about the bad stuff, and maybe they'll bring him back for some sort of ceremony or something or another, but like I said, it just would have been nice if they could have patched it by now, and he could have been part of things up there. Yeah, I agree with you, and that's
1: kind of what I was alluding to a little while back. It's just, um, there's a lot of guys, uh, and we've already mentioned the names, but All those guys they put a lot of blood sweat and tears into this thing to make it what it is now and uh you know i I don't think we can ever you know we definitely shouldn't look their contributions to this thing should never forget what they've done to to, to pave the road for the next generation of managers the next generation of players that are coming through this and um and the next generation of fans um they they need to know about the history and Again, that's why I'm glad you guys are doing this and I'm glad you guys take the time to put these, these shows out, uh, the blogs that you write and um you know, I I know from my my point being on the field, you know, I I would watch the fans and, and I would uh even though I may not have got to talk to him as much as I, I would have liked, but you know, um and uh, please forgive me, I I don't know his last name, but uh, the gentleman that was a fixture at St. Paul, his, his first name was Bill if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah you know let's play hockey you know after at the end of the anthem yeah. everything you know <laughs> passionate like bill brought to it you know and, and there was fans like that everywhere there's a uh, passionate hardcore fan base in fargo all those years i know they were screaming it at me and hating me uh you know but that's what made it great and uh you know, and same thing with Sioux Falls, and you see the same people in Sioux City over the years, and, and and so on and so forth. And I have friends in Lincoln that were season that are season ticket holders there, and that I've met and just were nice enough to sit and talk with us at the edge of the dugout and things like that. And so, um, you know, that's that's important. It's important to have that that connection, and and again, people like yourselves that are that are out there promoting it, and and not only for the league but for these players. And it's it's this. It's something that that I know it oftentimes gets overlooked, but you know, and it's not talked about enough. But, you know, we, we need to start doing a better
2: job of that. I think, and uh, kudos to you guys for doing that. I think the league establishing a hall of fame is a step in the right direction. I just hope that they they go about things the right way with it, and you know, I guess until until they don't, I you just got to have faith that they will and. I think that'll go away ways towards um, recognizing the past, and fans can read up on the inductees and just exactly what they meant to independent baseball, in particular, American Association, and before that, the Northern League.
1: Now, is there is there talks, or is that in talks? Is that something that's been discussed?
0: Yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah.
2: Okay. Good. Well, I don't know. I don't know about physical Hall of Fame, but Miles Wolfe was the the first inductee. That was announced at the All Star Game in Rosemont last summer. Okay, okay.
1: So, so you guys have asked me some questions. I'm gonna ask you a question here. What did you think about the level of play? Do you do you feel like it's gone down over the last couple of years? Uh, do you feel like it's it's on its way up? Do you feel like it's better? What do you think of the, of the level of play in the American Association uh, present day?
2: Rob, I'll let you go first. Thanks.
0: Well, uh, I got my okay. answer. I was flight. To be honest with you, Tom, the offensive numbers are up, and I think that is because pitching is south. Uh, I, I I think a lot of people were expecting. I think if you went to twelve managers in the American Association and said, "Wow, this what did you th- two years ago?" If you said, "What do you think this contraction is going to look like in minor league baseball? Where well, we're going to be flooded with minor league players?" And we're going to have a whole lot of guys out here. That never came to happen. As a matter of fact, Major League Baseball took most of the good <laughs> pitching, I think, from both from all of the independent leagues. And I think that has led to very exciting games. But um, I, I think, unfortunately, the level of play is down a little bit just because I, the pitching is just not as good, I don't think. Kevin, do you...
2: Yeah, I think Rob does nail that to an extent. I mean, there are teams here and there that have very good pitching, but it's just not as deep as it once was. And I think we experienced that in the playoffs where, let's face it, Milwaukee relied on, because of the short series, they, A.J. Shugo started three playoff games. And what? how many games did they have total in the playoffs? I think um, – 10 total so yeah one guy throwing throwing 30 percent of your starting 30 percent of your games and that just shows that there just wasn't a ton of depth there but Mm -hmm. i also think too that the hitters aren't getting signed by milb teams and i think we're seeing better hitters in the league too we're getting the occasional surprises i think with pitching i i I lean towards uh, Kane County. I thought uh, Weston Muir and um, helping out with the other guy, Rob Jack Fox. You know, those those two guys are are still considered pure rookies in the league, and they both had double digits and wins. So, I think you're seeing some young guys succeeding, and the, the league is a good opportunity for that. But generally, I think it is. There are a lot of nights where we're seeing nine, seven, ten, eight games, and I do To me, I would rather see a a good um, four to three game done in about two and a half hours.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment uh, from my standpoint. And dealing with whatever what players might be available uh, through releases or kids coming out of college and or whatnot, um, I, I think you I think you guys are both spot on. I think uh, I, I don't think there's the level of pitching out there available nowadays. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure there's a couple different factors for that. Um, but yeah i, I agree I, I watch listen when a guy like max murphy who's hitting 30 31 home runs and driving in you know hundred 110 runs and when he's not getting signed um, you know yeah there's there's good hitters that are out there that aren't getting opportunities and um, you know and with with the contraction down to 180 and and i don't know if you guys have heard this or not but i was told MLB's going down to 165. Uh, for next year, so um, it, yeah, there's going to be some there's going to be some guys out there that if they choose to play indie ball, there's going to be some good players available, and uh, I think it's going to be definitely more on the offensive side than it is the pitching. And and uh, like you said, there's it's funny you say that because Reggie sent me a couple texts during the summer, and you know one of them was, "You see how many guys are hitting 20 home runs in the American Association this year?" So, <laughs> that was that was a big number. It was a rarity. Yeah, that was yeah, a rarity. As recent as five years ago, nobody was hitting 20 home runs. He's, the guy hit 15-16. That was, you know, listen, up until Brett, Adam Brett Walker, right? Like, you know, Reggie yeah. would always hit 15-16. And, you know, yeah. up, until, up until Walker started doing what he was doing, it wasn't – you didn't have that kind of guy there. And so um, now it seems like every team's got at least
0: one guy hitting 20. Uh, Gary had their and, first 20 home run hitter ever.
1: Right, you know, and obviously uh, yeah. it, it, it helps that they have moved the defenses in a bit in that part. But um, but uh, yeah, it's not the only reason. You you guys are right. The pitching's down a little bit. It's down in all the leagues. Um, I've seen guys go to the Atlantic League that are hitting 350, 360 and I've seen them in other leagues that couldn't hit the ball of the infield, right? And so um, struggled, hit two fifty, and. That just tells you all across the board in any ball, it's the pitching is down and and all of us are fighting over whatever good arm becomes available.
2: Do you find yourself as a manager? you know I mentioned the two guys from kane county is that do you find it is it exciting when you do sign a guy that's fresh out of college, you take a chance on him and he pans out? Is there a feeling of satisfaction there like, boy I, I hit right on this guy, and you can't help but to feel proud for the player too. Oh, a hundred percent! It makes you,
1: you know, at least you can for that brief amount of time makes you look like you know what you're doing a little bit, right? <laughs> you actually have an idea you know, how to go about your job. And and listen, two years ago I had the rookie rookie pitcher of the year, and I was lucky enough to have it again this year. Uh, and they were both kids that had never played in pro ball before. Um, yeah, so yeah, for sure, there's some pride in that, and and uh, yeah, you feel good for the guy for the, the player, and and um, you know the one from twenty. 20- 21 he he was able to sign with the royals and and he finished up the the season this year with the orioles and um he's a minnesota kid actually and uh so yeah it's, it's always good to give those guys those opportunities and and for them to prove you're right is just the the cherry on the cake
0: you know tom in an american association we've had some great combinations like I think you look in Sioux City and you look at Steve Montgomery and Bobby Post have become, you know, at the hip have you know made Sioux City into quite a team, especially for pitchers that want to get their career going on. In St. Paul, you saw George Sammis and and Kerry Leitenberg that way. Are we going to see that combination with Tom Bates and Alex Boshiers? Is that going to be the next great manager pitching coach matchup out there?
1: Well, I'll tell you this: right before I went on with you, Alex sent a message and said I got to talk to you about something important. So Uh-oh. I don't know, Uh-oh. Alex. Uh oh, uh oh. I don't, I don't know if you guys know this, but Bo got married at the end of the season last year, and um, oh right on, and, you know, yeah, and he married a great girl in Megan, who he dated for a long time, and um, you know, and, and Megan's been great. She's she's encouraged him and supported his his career into this, and but you know, at some point, you know, those that. Uh, they're going to want the, the sound of little feet running around, and so I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much longer Bo has to do this before he wants to get on with life and and being a parent and have kids. And so, um, so I'm not sure. I know I'm going to stay around until they tell me to take a hike. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I will I will have Bo as long as they as he wants to. Bo, that's for
2: sure. Can can, so can we have of a part- might be the first member of the Bull Shears bullpen.
0: <laughs> I, I, I want to know, Tom, can we have a first here on the show? How about if you just call Alex right now? He can give you the news on the show. And uh, <laughs> we can have that as a scoop for tonight. How about that? I'm just kidding. No, wouldn't I wouldn't put him
1: on here. I, I don't know. Maybe that's not what it's about. Um, I, I, I know he did have an offer and he had some, um, some opportunities to go to Australia and be a pitching coach oh uh, wow he, okay you well know, down there he did go and he spent i think two or three winters down there pitching in the australian league and i know he has a good reputation and and
2: um, um,
1: he had that opportunity just he decided at the end it just wasn't going to work out this year but uh so i'm not sure i i think um i know he would like to stay in it as long as he could but uh again once once uh once the missus starts talking and, and you know they 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 kind of they're your agents, right? Once you get that written. yeah, out, that's
0: right. Your...
1: So we'll see we'll see what what Bo has in store.
0: Well, fantastic, Tom. We appreciate you coming on here with us tonight. But you know, since you're 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 a veteran now, this is your second appearance on the show. You know that you get to give us a final thought. So whatever you want to talk about, Tom, the floor is yours uh so I
1: guess it's fitting for this show to uh, to talk about Rick Forney and the fact that you know it wasn't easy for him to step in and replace Hal Lanier, uh when he took over in Winnipeg and and the fact that he stayed there and did what he did um, brought their the the, or, the organization their first championship since 1994 uh, when we were able to win in 2016 and then uh, to repeat in seventeen and I, and I'm if I'm not mistaken, we are the last organization to do that to the to to this date, um, and uh, you know so to do. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. The first the first championship since '94 was in 2012, and then we did the repeat 16 and 17. But um, but I think I think everybody in Winnipeg, all the fan base there, obviously everyone in the organization. And I would say even the people around the league itself um, have a great deal of gratitude. They should be expressing to Rick right now, and and uh, you know just be thankful for the job that he did and the way he represented not only the Winnipeg Goldeyes organization but the American Association on the whole. And uh, I think we should all uh, be very happy for him and should wish him nothing but good things to come in New
0: York. Great final thought there, Tom. Tom Vay, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Okay, well, Kevin, we got a little bit off the uh, track today, and, and not continuing on our series, but having Tom on to talk about Rick Forney and the big news, and just hearing what's got, Tom's got going on out there was was exciting time for us tonight on the show.
2: I I thought um, I I know I enjoyed uh, the, the hour that we sat down with Tom, and and I hope the I hope you, the listener, um, also enjoyed the banter as. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a rigid um, go by the script type of show, and I I thought it, was, it turned out really well. And and gosh, I can't wait to have him on again.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I got to say is is that you and I do not really spend a lot of the time talking about the Frontier League, especially outside of Tom. Um, but uh, you know, it was interesting to hear how that new rule worked out this season. I was very critical of that, Kevin, but it sounds like that extra inning rule is really working for them.
2: I think so, and I and it's a it's a rule too. I think it brings in some strategy, like we were talking about. Okay, where's the other team in the batting order? What do you got left for pitchers? So, and you know, you just got that one inning. There, there's if you got one good pitcher left, you're throwing them. There's no well, you know, if we have a safe situation, no, there is no safe situation. That inning is the safe situation. But you know, that's what yeah, I can be on.
0: Well, it'd be interesting to see if the league decides to go with that, and I would assume that if they're getting great feedback from Frontier League managers and general managers that this is a great idea, that other independent leagues will look at it and say, well, you know, this makes sense. And then I wonder if this spreads across into affiliate baseball and, and beyond. Uh, I I'm I'm not... I think, by the way that this sounded when they discussed the rule change, is that this was an idea proposed by one of the managers in the league, and everybody thought it was a good idea to try. I don't know if this is even being considered at the affiliate level, but you know, us old timers don't like we like the the long extra inning games, but but they're looking to shorten it. and Maybe this is the best way to go.
2: And if that's what they want, if they want to shorten the games, I think it is the best route because. You and I saw it a lot in the last year or two where I think a lot of times it does, the the runner on second base rule, it doesn't shorten the game because a lot, of te- a lot of times you just see teams being able to match getting that one runner in. Yep. We saw a lot of games yeah. in summer that end up getting into the deeper innings because it was just was teams just matching up that um, – I know they don't like to call it ghost runner, but what else can you really call it? But it was just the ghost runner would score for both teams more often than not. Then you're on to the next inning. And it didn't really accomplish what you wanted. Whereas with this, you know, the 10th or in their case, the 11th inning is going to be the last inning.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that's funny you mentioned that because one of the interesting things I saw in the American Association this season was A team would score in the top of the tenth, and in the bottom of the tenth, the team came right back. The home team came back right, right back, and got that run back. A lot of times, got two runs out of that inning to wind up winning the game. I I think we saw a game this season where a team scored three or four in the top of the tenth, and the home team came back with five in the bottom half of the inning to win. And so that rule, I I don't really think worked. How everybody thought it would, like, okay, well, a guy will bunt over and they go win the game when their closer comes in. It just didn't happen that way. And this r- rule sounds like it brings more strategy into the game, as Tom was saying there. Well, who do they have batting? Who do I have batting? Who do they p- could they pitch? Who got- can I pitch here? And you start looking for your matchups, and that really sets your game scenario. So um, I stand corrected. I-, I learned that this might be a good rule.
2: Like I said, we were half correct. And, you know, for us, that's, um, <laughs> that's pretty high.
0: Yeah, well, in baseball, we'd be Hall of Famers with being half-correct. How about that? Well, Kevin, uh, we talked a lot with Tom about Rick Forney deciding to step aside and head out there to York, officially announced by the Atlantic League as well. It sounded like in the announcement that they gave on the Winnipeg Gold Ice site that they were going to wait a couple of days to officially announce that, but I guess the cat was out of the bag, so um, they decided to name it. So let's let's just kind of, you and I talk a little bit about Rick Forney is 2006, became the manager in the Winnipeg. Uh, you were talking about close to 1,000 victories, 887 now in Winnipeg, uh, probably going to eclipse a 2,000 or 1,000 here in, in a couple of seasons. Uh, clearly proved himself to be a fantastic manager and a guy that is a future Hall of Famer for sure in the league.
2: It's, it was quite a success story when you think about it. Um... When he broke in with Winnipeg, he was a um, heck of a starting pitcher for those Winnipeg teams, and slowly he transitioned from his playing career into a coaching job. And then when Hal Lanier left, the job became his. And you know that's a that's a lot of pressure to, to go from a, a independent baseball legend like Doug Simonek for like a year or two to Hallenier. Uh, that's a couple of big names to try to follow. And boy, um, Rick Forney really carved out a name for himself. And like you said, uh, the guy should eventually be a, an Independent Baseball League Hall of Famer.
0: Disappointing over the last few seasons. The club did not make the playoffs, struggled. Well, they did make this season. Well, they did make it this um, year,
2: but dropped in three yep, games.
0: Yeah and and you know could have potentially won that series uh max murphy isn't hurt in the first game of of that series out there but had a couple of disappointing years the previous years um but rick has a few championships under his belt has been a guy that has proven to be a true winner built some incredible clubs that 2006 2007 clubs were absolutely spectacular and Reggie Abercrombie is going to be a guy that we're going to be talking about in the American Association as just a Hall of Famer for a long time. So he had a lot of great players he brought around there, turned Kevin McGovern into one of the best starters in the league. Um, just a, a guy who knew how to get talent and get the most out of it, and, and I, a lot you could say positively about him for sure.
2: Did he just open up uh, another potential candidate?
0: Kevin McGovern. I think that's uh, a very. if he decided to hang it up and, and wanted to get out of Fargo, you know, wanted to manage I I, I could totally see that. So uh because, yeah, I mean, me. he, gave,
2: he gave every indication after the after the Miles Wolf Cup finals that it was it for him. So you wonder, you know, like we said, the um, Sam wants a name and maybe maybe Kevin McGovern goes back to Winnipeg and Gets a job, but that'd be awfully tough going from being an active player to right away being a manager and having to make those connections in order to find players. So, but you know, we've seen bigger things happen.
0: And, and I think you're talking about the biggest deal of all, Kevin. Is that um, how much does Sam Katz expect the new manager to fill this roster? Rick, Rick Forney actually, uh, obviously, did most of that, if not all of it there in winnipeg and so is he looking for a guy who is 100 percent the person building the club or is he looking for a person to primarily manage and work with him on building the club so uh kevin mcgovern clearly has a a, a playing right now he clearly knows lots of people i just the question i guess you look at is whether he could wind up getting with agents and coming up with a roster that would make this a winner so um, whether he's considered or not, I don't know. But uh, definitely a very smart guy and would be a great addition up there if they decided to go with him as the manager. Well, past that, Kevin, we do want to say that uh, despite this, Winnipeg did last week exercise other options on uh, the majority of their players out there, including Max Murphy, which we hope that broken leg heals quickly and that he's back on the diamond. Um We'll talk more about Winnipeg later on as we break down their season with uh, them when we get closer to probably sometime in December when we get to them. But uh, not much other news going on around the American Association, uh, except for uh, Lincoln has a new GM out there, Kevin.
2: Shane Tritts got back into the game. um, He's got a long-time baseball pedigree. He's known mostly in these parts for – being a longtime general manager of the Sioux City Explorers, but he heads um, he heads a little bit south into the west as the new general manager of the Lincoln felt Dogs.
0: So that's exciting news out there. So Lincoln, uh, I the interesting thing I was thinking these Kevin's is when Kevin is when a, a new general manager comes in, you know they want to have their own stamp on a team. I I, I don't think that that he comes in there and and Brett Jody's job would be in in jeopardy in any way. But, uh, you know, GMs like to have their own guy at the helm. And uh, so I've wondered if that, you know, what that relationship winds up working out.
2: I think you you give it a shot. And, you know, we've seen it in hockey too, where general managers come in and either they – right away want to bring in their own culture. sometimes they'll give the current culture a shot and they'll find out that, hey, you know what, we've got a pretty good thing going here. So I can't imagine he's going to do anything too drastic in Lincoln.
0: Well, that's pretty much it around the American Association. Out in the Atlantic League, uh, Hagerstown, which was a single-A team, I believe in the South Atlantic League, uh, if I remember that correctly, um, broke ground. They will be a new Atlantic League team in 2024. They broke ground on the building the new stadium, um, so it looks like they will be a. Uh, do we have a, a size attendance on the new stadium here? It does not say that uh, in this particular article, but multi-million dollar stadium. I think 44 million is what they paid for this to build the stadium out there. So uh, Atlantic League getting another team for next year. Um, Frontier League did not have any other exciting news going on there on on out there, so I think that that is all of our independent news for this week, Kevin. So um, that takes us to the best part of the show, Kevin Luco, Final thought? Well,
2: final thought is going to be just add on to um, actually another news item that um, we didn't talk about yet, and that is for um, fans that are starting to miss the. American Association product, uh, things are getting ready to crank up for the Australian Baseball League, who will have a full-fledged season for the first time since the pre-pandemic era. Era. So we're seeing um, American Association guys here and there um, being signed by Australian Baseball League. Teams. We're seeing Jim Bennett of Lake Country Dock Hounds heading back over to Coach under Dave Nilsson swapping their roles from the summertime in Lake country. So, fans, um, keep in mind that there will be our kind of baseball coming up soon and it's going to be over Australia. So, fear, fear not the winter weather because we will still have baseball to watch in the form of the ABL. And that is my final thought.
0: And, Kevin, if I remember correctly, I believe that Josh Buchholz told us that some of those games, if not all of them, would be on AA Baseball TV. Did I remember that correctly?
2: I do not recall. I know they have in the past. I can't see that being any different this season. And if they are not, then there will be an avenue in which we
0: can watch them. Absolutely. And uh, we know a lot of players. Logan Trowbridge, uh, his mom was telling me that he's heading down there to play in Australia for the first time. So um, exciting time. And uh, one of our favorite guys going down there, Dan Vaughn, finally get to call games down there in Australia again. So uh, I, I wonder if he's already headed on his way out there and he's calling everybody mate by this point. <laughs> that could very well, be. You know, Kevin, I, I wondered why Dan has never said the word crikey on this show. We're going to have to work <laughs> on him on that because this is not Australian. He's got to be using that somehow or another. <laughs> We're not talking about that. Well, once again, we want to thank Tom Bates for joining us this week. For Kevin Loco, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.